The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. This is episode number 197. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, holistic, drug-free, evidence-based, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, or just for help, call 866-231-5924. Today, we have an interview with a gentleman named Dr. Kenneth Finn. Dr. Finn is a graduate of the University of Texas at Houston. In 1990, he graduated, and he completed his residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. He is board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation and pain medicine. He's been on the exam council for the American Board of Pain Medicine since 2001 and is also level two accredited to perform impairment ratings for injured workers in the state of Colorado. He served on the Colorado Governor's Task Force on Amendment 64, which legalized marijuana for recreational use. Consumer Safety and Social Issues Work Group and served four years on Colorado's Medical Marijuana Scientific Advisory Council. He is editor of Cannabis in Medicine, an Evidence-Based Approach. He's an avid outdoor, avid outdoor enthusiast, has been a medical advisor for Running and Fitness Magazine, and enjoys treating patients with spine and sports-related injuries. I know that Dr. Finn has an interesting take on the legalization of marijuana. So without further ado, let's talk to Dr. Kenneth Finn. So Dr. Finn, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You bring quite a different viewpoint than just about anybody we've had on the podcast. And I can see that you're busy. So I appreciate you sharing sharing your time with us. Thank you for having me, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. How did you get involved? You're a medical doctor, but how did you get involved in this whole subject that we're going to talk about today, which is marijuana and the impact on opioid overdoses? How did you get interested in that? Well, this was not a career choice of mine, to, be, to tell you the truth. And I have a, a good friend from Park City who's Jewish, and he said something to me in Yiddish, and I asked him what that meant. And he told me that the path chose me. This was not my intent to be an expert on marijuana, uh, for sure. I really had no intent. But the reason I went down this road is because I'm a pain physician, I'm board certified in rehab medicine, I'm board certified in uh, anesthesia pain management and pain, pain medicine. I'm on, the, on the president-elect of the American Board of Pain Medicine. So we want to raise the bar for physicians and providers that take care of patients that have pain. Um, I served on the uh, Colorado's um, uh, Amendment 64, where they legalized marijuana. I was on the Consumer Safety and Social Issues Work Group. I served four years in our state Medical Marijuana Scientific Advisory Council. I testified at the Canadian Senate 
et cetera. So I, I become an expert, but not really my plan. And the reason was because as a pain doc, I was seeing all these patients coming into me because I'm a referral-based practice and they were on huge amounts of opioids. Uh, they had high levels of pain and they said, the, and they were using marijuana for their pain. And I said, well, it's not helping you. <laughs> so clinically it didn't make any sense as a provider. I'm like, why are they, why are they using their narcotics if this is supposed to be you know, the end all be all for pain? And so I started reading and educating myself and I learned a lot about the plant, uh, its components, um, lots of things to share about it. And at the end of the day, the, the nuts and bolts take home point is that marijuana is not an opioid substitute at all. And it's not that great for pain, as a pain reliever. And the data is very, very clear about that. The, the scientific literature uh, does not support it, even in the cancer patients. Uh, I mean, they really are not part of the debate in my mind. I, I, I'm, have, I'm a very uh, much uh, right to try mentality. If, if grandma's dying of pancreatic cancer and she wants to smoke a bowl of weed, I, I'm okay with that uh, for grandma to do that. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the general patient population that has non-cancer pain that is using marijuana for pain, it typically does not work. I think there are anecdotes out there, uh, which is just a, a person's experience. And I've had a few of my own uh, where a patient says, I just want to use marijuana for my back pain. I don't want these opioids anymore. And I have a handful of those that have gotten off of their opioids and just use their marijuana, which is fine by me because I don't have to write for prescriptions. But I have a bag of anecdotes that don't show that. And that bag of anecdotes is much more consistent with the medical literature base. Well, and in addition to your anecdotes, you have actual statistical information that you're going to pop up on the screen that um, I will say right now, because this is also an audio podcast, and I'm going to say for anybody listening, you need to go to YouTube and check out the video so they can see your slides. So whenever you're ready, feel free to bring that up. All right. So I won't belabor all the, the science and the data, but, you know, we are, let me get back to my share screen here. Um, where did it go? So we are in the middle of an opioid epidemic, right? Um, you know, and, and interestingly, and I don't think anybody thinks along these lines like I do, because I'm a little more sensitive to the topic, you know, 2019 was a record number of drug overdoses in our country. And if you go back maybe 10 years, nine or 10 years, and, and the steepness of that curve increased, sorry for that background, background noise. It's all right. But if you look at the, you look at the curve of this, it kind of coincides with more states legalizing. Very strong correlation. I can't prove one thing over another, but it does make you wonder, right? So um, I'm going to look at, here's the Colorado drug overdose data. And I do a lot of work with our, our state public health department. And in 2000, if you can see my cursor, that's when Colorado voted on Amendment 20 to use marijuana for medicinal purposes. Um, in the state of Colorado, more than 92% of the medical marijuana recommendations are for pain. So if, if it was that, the end all be all for as a pain reliever, uh, we should have a really low amount and number percentage of drug related overdoses, particularly opioids. So in 2001, it was implemented. In 2009, Colorado had, for lack of a better term, de facto legalization when all the dispensaries popped up across the state like daisies. And, and we went from a very healthy population to a very sick population because a lot of people were getting medical marijuana cards. 
In 2012, we voted on Amendment 4, uh, 64 to legalize it for recreational use, implemented in 2014. And as you can see, since legalization and way back since medical uh, use of marijuana, we've had an ongoing increase in multiple drugs, including prescription opioids, um, cocaine, heroin, uh, the fentanyl overdoses, looks like the COVID curve. And I can tell you, I work with uh, Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. The 2020 preliminary data just through the third quarter of 2020 has already outstripped these numbers in several categories, and particularly cocaine, fentanyl, and prescription opioids. The, the final data will be out uh, probably mid uh, 2021. And so I, I was going to say, sorry to interrupt, but just to just for anybody that cannot see the slide in front of me, all drug overdoses have increased quite a lot since the original legalization of medical marijuana. Correct. Correct. I also look at the state of California that's had marijuana since 1996, and I think the they're doing the right thing in California. You look at the prescription opioid rates are going down, the number of morphine equivalents, uh, which is kind of what they base, what dose of other, met, whatever opioid you may be on, that's going down. Uh, the CDC recommends really no more than 90 morphine equivalents due to risk of overdose. Uh, the people taking more than 90 morphine equivalents is going down. Uh, Co-prescribing of opioids and benzodiazepines like Xanax or Valium, that's going down. Uh, the use of buprenorphine, which is the treatment for uh, the opioid use disorder, that's continuing to go up. However, if you look at their uh, prescription overdose death rates are going up, heroin death rates are generally going up, maybe a little dip in the fourth quarter of 19. Uh, synthetic opioid deaths are going up. Emergency room visits for opioids are going up. So despite the strong work California has done to push back on the opioid epidemic, they are still failing. Dr. Finn, what would you, what is, a, what is a synthetic um, opioid? What, tell me what that is. Those are, those are things like, uh, morphine is like a natural opioid. Uh, you have these atypical opioids like uh, tramadol or, or Nucinta. You have uh, the synthetic and semi-synthetic things like um, uh, oxycodone and hydrocodone. Okay. Uh, codeine is more of a natural opioid. Uh, so these are the synthetic opioids. Okay. So these are prescription, pretty much prescription um, drug deaths and emergency room visits. Interestingly, and I don't have this data available, but I do know in Colorado and other states that I've worked with, uh, the use of Narcan, which is the reversal agent for drug overdose, right. that has gone through the roof. So despite them saving more lives, lower prescription rates and prescriptions and morphine equivalents going down, we, have a, we still have a big problem with our, our opioid epidemic. Uh, so I'm going to show a graphic, and for those, again, like that are listening, I would encourage you to look at this because it's much more impactful than what you're going to hear me say. But the Cairo Health Institute, just between 2002 and 2014, which is just on the cusp of legalization, uh, created some data on and a, and a picture of every county in the state of Colorado and how bad the opioid epidemic has gotten. And again, El Paso County, which is in the center part, close to the center part of the state, uh, has 25% of all of the state's medical marijuana patients live in El Paso County. Uh, but if you look at all the counties, the darker the color, the worse the drug problem has gotten. So if you look at 2002, 2005, 2008, 
2011, 2014, our drug deaths are getting worse. And you went from so, like maybe three counties with that dark red to now you've got, I don't know how many on here. So it, yes. let me stop you for one second, Dr. Finn. Is there a place that the people who are listening that maybe are not watching this, is there a place they can view this? Uh, well, I'm happy to share my slides. Okay. Um, I think I did do a presentation for somebody else. And if you want, I can find that link. Okay. And we're happy to provide this link. Okay, perfect. Uh, but I've done this presentation many, many times. And I ask people that might find me somewhat nihilistic or, or biased or what have you. And I ask them, point out to me where marijuana has helped Colorado's opioid problem. And nobody has been able to answer that question for me. Right. Okay. So if you look and, you know, th these are the other issues that we have. Um, you know, the pandemic has significantly impacted um, everybody in, in multiple areas. Uh, but if you look at the OD map, uh, it's a national, uh, I guess, a site you can go to. Just in the first four months of the pandemic, so February through May of 2020, so many year, months ago, um, opioid overdoses went up 42% compared to the same time the prior year. I mean, if there's a lot of factors that go into it. I mean, the shutdowns with drug courts, treatment centers, or recovery programs, lack of funding. We don't know what the death data is, but I can tell you in, in Colorado, um, as an example, the death rates have gone up and are much higher than they were in 2019. Wow. Um, you look at the global drug survey, uh, a lot of, it was a big study, 55,000 people that were questioned, 44% um, increased their use of cannabis during the pandemic, much more than opioids, which is only 28%. Uh, alcohol is a big problem as well. Uh, going back to the state of Colorado, this is a very frightening slide. I don't know if, I've, if you've seen this before or not. I haven't. Uh, but marijuana is the most prevalent substance found in completed teen suicide in our state. Say that Much again. More than, Say that one more time. Marijuana is the most prevalent substance found in completed teen suicide in Colorado. So someone could just say that there is a correlation between the use of marijuana by teens and teen suicide. I mean, I could just say that, right? There's a very strong correlation. If you look at, uh, on the, if, for those that are listening, I would encourage you to see it. Uh, but if you look on the other side of the slide, the top five things are current depressed mood, mental health problems, crisis two weeks prior death, ever treated for health problems, or left a suicide note. I mean, it's, this is a chicken and egg argument. Are these kids using because they're depressed or are they depressed because they're using? Um, I think the data is, is getting a little more clear. Uh, just an article that came out a few months ago uh, that individuals' depression have a higher risk of cannabis use, especially those that are using daily or near daily. And, and people with depression have double the odds of using cannabis uh, compared to people that don't have depression. So the, the link and the tie between mental health and marijuana use is very, very strong. If you look at the suicide, the presence of marijuana in all age groups across the state of Colorado, uh, these are people that commit suicide and complete it. Uh, the presence of marijuana continues to go up. Yep. Probably due to more people are using. Yep. Um, if you look during the pandemic, uh, this is a smaller study. Uh, this is a little frightening because, you know, with, with um, you know, you have the, the single parent 
that's still working, but the schools are shut down and the kids have to be at home. They may be alone. Uh, you look at alcohol and cannabis use in adolescents have gone up during the pandemic. And the concerning part is that nearly half of them are using substances alone, right. solitary. Um, you know, they don't have, they can't go out with friends. They can't see people. Uh, they still use it for via social media, but other, you know, 23% of kids violate the, the social distancing and are actually using substances face-to-face -face, uh, with their peers. Wow. Um, the data that came out of Colorado early this year, uh, nearly a third of kids drove a vehicle after using marijuana, uh, just that went up. So 33% get behind the wheel compared to 9% only two years ago. So the, the social norming of the substance has just gone, you know, so low. Uh, half the kids that are using marijuana are dabbing. And we all know that the dabbing products are very high potency. We don't know what the long-term effects are going to be on these kids. Um, I'm just so going to stop you for one second. And for sure. listening that you doesn't understand what dabbing is, dabbing is a method of inhaling highly concentrated THC, commonly referred to as hash oil, wax, or shatter, using a blowtorch heated delivery system, commonly referred to as a dab rig. So that's what he's talking about when he mentions dabbing. Dabbing. So we had a 70% increase of kids vaping just in two years. Um, and more than 20% of kids that have used in the past 30 days got their marijuana from an adult. So again, the social norming, the education is, is lacking for both adolescents and their parents. Uh, this was an interesting study. This is from the, the, the Healthy Kids data from two years ago. Um, of, of the 47,000 kids surveyed, about a third of them said that they used an electronic vapor product. So of those kids that are using an electronic vapor product, 50% have also used marijuana in the past 30 days, more than those that have binge drank, which was only 43%. So wow. this, this electronic vaping device, um, it goes hand in hand with using marijuana in our adolescence. And again, these numbers have gone up since, the, since 2017. This is an article from the New England Journal of Medicine, which I think is a very well-known and respected medical journal. Yep. Same thing happened in Vermont. Uh, the kids smoking it has gone down, but the the um, vaping has gone up from 2% to 17% in two years. Dabbing went from basically nothing because they weren't really looking at it. This is a, more of a new phenomena. So nearly 10% of kids are dabbing in Vermont. Wow. Um, this is a, some of this, the data that has come out monitoring the future that comes out of Michigan uh, vaping marijuana and vaping nicotine has increased dramatically, as I shown, more than doubling in two years. Uh, use of marijuana in any form in kids uh, or young adults is the highest it's ever been in the past 40 years. And one in seven young adults who are not in college are using daily or near daily. So I, I want to highlight kind of the link between opioids and marijuana because people argue with me that it's not a gateway th uh, drug. I mean, alcohol is a gateway substance, tobacco, and marijuana is on the list as a gateway drug. And so if you look at the, the YRBS, which is the Youth Risk Behavior Survey that came out a few months ago, every drug a young monk, among young people is going down with the exception of marijuana. And the interesting thing they found from this study is that the number one risk factor for prescription opioid misuse in adolescents is having ever used marijuana. So 20% of high schoolers are using marijuana. 
43% of kids who are abusing prescription opioids also report using marijuana. The link between the two is very strong. And there is some science as to why, which I'm not going to get into. I'm just glad to hear you say it because we've said it so many times on the podcast. And whenever we say it on the podcast, the medical marijuana or not medical, but marijuana is a gateway drug. Every time we say it, we get a lot of flack on social media. Now you can disagree with me and my opinion, but you can't disagree with the, with the facts that Dr. Finn is showing you on the screen. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-314. 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. I mean, the fact that for a kid to have the number one risk factor in an adolescent that's misusing opioids as having ever used marijuana. That's the first time I really saw that. And I think it really solidifies the gateway theory in my mind. Uh, But some of the data with adolescents that are quote, medical marijuana patients, end quote, um, they're used marijuana more frequently. They're vaping and eating more. They have a higher risk of cannabis use disorder. Uh, Perception of harm is low, but they also use other things like tobacco, sedatives, tranquilizers. They've got poor sleep, poor health. Um, here's an example for those that can't see it. This is a, a, a candy, a, med- a medical marijuana candy that presented to one of our local emergency rooms in Colorado that was split by a 12 and 14 year old. And they came into the emergency room with a marijuana related illness. This product uh, had 500 milligrams of THC in it. And these two kids split it. And I'm going to tell uh, you what it says, a- just for people who can't see it, it's a beautifully <coughs> colorful label. It says medicated nerds. Super potent formula rope, wild berry peach was the flavor, 500 milligrams THC per rope. That's a lot of THC. Yep. Um, so here's the other side. And so there's like some mislabeling on here because one side says 500 milligrams of THC. The other side says 420 milligrams of THC. I don't know if they're trying to be funny by highlighting 420 Um, But the fact of the matter is, and this is the more frightening part, um, these kids reportedly got this product, which is 
very colorful and, and marketed to children. They got this product from a medical marijuana dispensary owner via Snapchat. That's how these young adults and kids are drug dealing these days because that is, you can't find it. There's no uh, uh, history. And so it disappears. So that's how these kids are drug dealing these days is via Snapchat. Wow. Um, the data in Colorado shows, you know, this adolescents presenting to the emergency room, and this data is a few years old, um, that kids that are coming to a Denver hospital in Colorado have gone up significantly since de facto legalization in 2009 uh, to just after legalization, with 71% of these kids presenting with a psychiatric event. Hmm. Remember the slide earlier with the, uh, the suicide data in Colorado uh, that, you know, it's the most prevalent substance found in completed teen suicide. And there's a lot of negative uh, mental health factors that go along with that. And here's some of the data that kind of shows and demonstrates that. Um, I'll get through this here. Medical cannabis used up during the pandemic, a kind of a small study. Um, the people with mental health conditions increased their medical cannabis use by 91%, a significant rise. I mean, the pandemic has really impacted our communities from a mental health perspective with, you know, lockdowns, isolation, uh, people that already have pre-existing mental health conditions like depression or anxiety. Uh, this has really had a significant impact and they tend to be using more. The, the concerning thing is that across all states, the qualifying conditions are typically chronic conditions. Right. Um, and we know that with COVID, a chronic condition is a risk factor. So the, here's the bridge between increased cannabis use for a chronic condition and the, maybe a risk factor for uh, COVID. And interestingly, COVID and marijuana that is smoked or inhaled or vaporized or dabbed, uh, both of those, the target organ is the lung. Oh. Uh, cannabis misuse and um, cannabis use and opioid misuse in adolescents. This is a very big study, nearly over 70. Well, these are adults. Right. Um, so 75,000 people. Um, here's again, the past year marijuana use was significantly associated with an increase odds of reporting opioid dependence and past year non-medical use of opioids. So abusing opioids. So again, here's another very large study that demonstrates the, the, the tight relationship between cannabis and opioids. Um, I'll skip that one. You know, here they kind of, the National Survey of Drug Use and Health picked on Colorado. If you look at uh, Colorado past month use compared to the national average of young adults 18 to 25 um, has gone, is much higher than national average, especially when you're looking at substance use disorder and serious mental illness in those that are over 18. It has almost doubled uh, in the past year. Wow. You know, I wanna talk a little bit about the, the failures of the industry, uh, people that get mad at me when I point this out, but this is the, this is, these are the facts. Right. Uh, Cause I have patients coming into me saying, I wanna try this, I wanna try that. And I tell them buyer beware. I said, you know, if you wanna get up your opioids and, and you wanna use whatever product, if, you know, you're a free person, um, but let, I won't prescribe opioids if you wanna use your cannabis. Uh, the secretary is the Oregon Secretary of State issued an audit report. And Oregon, as we know, has had a very robust medical and legal marijuana program for many, many years. So the Secretary of State, as a result of the audit, said we cannot, our, our testing program cannot ensure that test results are reliable or products are safe for consumption. And they only had 3% of their stores, stores and one third of the growers had a compliance inspection. That's a big fail in my mind. 
Uh, California has an 18% fail rate for unacceptable levels of pesticides, solvents, bacteria, which include E. coli and salmonella. Colorado does not test or recall products on a regular basis. Um, this is interesting. I'm going to, where's that one? I'll, I'll get to it in a sec. I'm um, in California a couple of years ago. There was a lab that was caught faking pesticide test results. So they had oh. tens of thousands of pounds of flour and equal amount of other products like oils, vaping were under this recall because the guy was faking the results. And I mean, I have, all, I have links to all this and, stuff. And, so I'm not on and let me just interrupt for a second and I apologize, but pesticides folks pesticides you like smoking pesticides i don't know why don't you just go down to the you know the hardware store and get you know ddt and smoke that i mean come on well they have pesticides they have rodenticides they've got fungicides they have heavy metals uh, here's one uh, there was a recall out of massachusetts they were they were adulterating their product with viagra Oh my with Viagra oh my and not telling, I mean, this is risky because if you have an undeclared ingredient that may interact with a nitrate with like, uh, like um, nitropaste or somebody that has coronary artery disease, it can lower your blood pressure to a dangerous level. And they're not, they're not telling the people that this is in their product. I mean, it's what it stone and bone, or I don't know what you want to call it, Unbelievable. Uh, but this is when they're adulterating their products. Here is um, Florida just a couple months ago. They had uh, aspergillosis, which is a fungus. They had to, this one wellness dispensary dispensed 17 million ounces of medical marijuana flour that was contaminated with fungus, which is more than 545 tons in the one month of July. Um, just two months ago in Colorado, we had a recall with arsenic in it. Great. So people don't understand and people really need to understand that these products are not tested, they are poorly regulated, if regulated all, at all, and can be very harmful. And I'm going to uh, bet, so I, I could be wrong on this, but I'm going to bet that the unregulation, the, the products that are not regulated are probably less expensive than the ones that are. And likely, I would say that adolescents for sure would tend to mo go more toward the less expensive marijuana, which would be the more unregulated just guessing. Well, well if you, you know, that's a very good point because if you look at the, you know, I remind people we were in the middle of a vaping epidemic before COVID hit. Yep. Um, and a lot of, most of the people that died were young adults. Um, most of the people that died that were young adults were using a vaping product that was contaminated, that wasn't contaminated, but had either vitamin E acetate or THC in it. Uh, and they were usually black market products. Mm -hmm. So yes, yeah, so they're probably cheap uh, off, you know, you can get them pretty cheap. You know, young adults don't make a lot of money. Yep generally speaking. Yep. Uh, so here's another example of the link and the tight relationship between uh, marijuana and opioids. Uh, the national, uh, the, the fatality analysis reporting system or FARS data uh, that in last year in 2019, uh, those testing positive for marijuana that were drivers were 28% more likely to also be positive for prescription opioids. And the national roadside survey, which is a smaller study, but still decent, those testing positive for marijuana were twice as likely to test positive for prescription opioids. And these are drivers testing positive uh, that were pulled over or what have you. Mm -hmm. So the, again, the link uh, and, the, and the marriage between uh, marijuana and opioids is very strong. And, and the data is supporting this along multiple fronts. Uh, people that are in Colorado, they did a survey of 11,000 people, nearly 70% uh, 
of people have driven high. And I can't tell you how many times I've driven up I-25 or I-70 in the mountains of Colorado uh, that I saw somebody lining up a bong at 75 miles an hour driving with their elbow. Um, it, I mean, it really is frightening. Wow. A uh, couple of other things, you know, with COVID, you hear this all the time. Listen to the scientists. Listen to the evidence with COVID. But for, for some reason, marijuana got a free pass. So they don't talk about the science or the evidence. They want to talk about the money. And I can tell you our state legislators, for the most part, can't spell P&L or profit and loss. They just can't spell it because they always talk about the profit, not the loss. Um, I edited a, a cannabis and medicine textbook that had over 70 authors in three countries and 20 chapters. I'll, I'll, show, I'll have a link to that. Uh, but Robert Page, who was the lead author for the American Heart Association that came out with a paper a few months ago, uh, clearly demonstrates the risk of a heart attack, stroke, sudden death, and arrhythmia for those people uh, that may be using marijuana that may have pre-existing heart disease. Um, and they have all the science on why that happens, or, and they can explain you know, the CB1 receptor activation, what happens, et cetera, and if anybody's interested. But he was one of my authors. He, he was a pharmacist that did my drug-drug interaction. Hmm. Um, we don't have time to get into this issue, uh, but this was an article that came out a few months ago. Uh, cannabis use in pregnancy um, is not good for the developing fetus. Um, women using cannabis, this came out of Canada. Women using cannabis during pregnancy often use other substances, but if you, if they kind of, they separated the ones that were only using cannabis, babies born to this group had a higher risk of autism. Wow. And, and the, Susan Murphy from Duke has published some very interesting data because they always point the, the finger at the woman and I, I don't like that. Uh, but the, Susan Murphy um, published a paper that men who use, and this is a rat study, men who use uh, alter the autism gene. Hmm. So men who use that get a woman pregnant may also have a higher risk of having an autistic child. That's interesting. So um, this is a more frightening study that came out. This was a, a large study of 11,000 kids ages 9 through 11. So these are, you know, 5th, 6th graders, 4th, uh, 5th, 6th graders. And, they, and these kids were exposed to marijuana by the mother. This is scary because these kids, are, they're not using drugs. They're not, you know, using marijuana or anything. Uh, but these kids had things like psychotic-like experiences in a 10-year-old. Wow. And these are the kids that were exposed compared to those that were not exposed. They're not having psychotic-like experiences. And, and I don't have time to get into all the uh, impacts on the brain uh, in a developing fetus, I'm actually giving a grand rounds to Mayo Clinic in a few months on women's health. And I've been doing a lot of reading on epigenetics and birth defects and all this other stuff. Uh, but it really impacts the developing brain when a woman who's pregnant is using. Wow. Uh, here's a frightening data point. And again, for those that are listening, I, I'll try to explain it best I can, but the visual is much more impactful. Uh, the state of Texas has, represents about 10% of the U.S. population. It's a, so it's a good representation of the US population. Uh, but the data from the state health department in Texas, when you have a confirmed child abuse or neglect fatality, what substance is involved in the perpetrator? And if you look at the data, marijuana is by far the most prevalent substance, either active use or past use by the perpetrator when there's a dead child in the state of Texas from abuse or neglect. Wow. The second highest thing found is nothing. Right. And then 
way below that are things like cocaine, alcohol, methamphetamine, and opioids are very, very low. <laughs> very low. So in summary, there's no evidence that dispensary cannabis helps for non chronic non-cancer pain. There's no evidence that dispensary cannabis is a sub opioid substitute. Um, cannabis users more likely to develop opioid use disorder or misuse their opioids. They have higher mental health issues like depression and anxiety. Um, states with medical marijuana programs typically have higher opioid overdose deaths. It's not helping our, our drug crisis. And in, in doing this for so long, it's probably contributing to the drug crisis. Right. So, you know, I support FDA drug development for cannabinoids. Um, we need to have potency limits. We need to get rid of home grows because they're just breeding grounds for illegal activity. Uh, a lot of states don't track this data. I do give the state of Colorado a lot of kudos uh, for follow looking at this data and at least having it available for the public. But other states don't look at the toxicology on teen suicide. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of data from, uh, you know, from the U.S. about birth defects. We need to understand healthcare utilization. I mean, this is this will be a this is a, a negative societal. Um, a big negative society problem and impact. I mean, we didn't do a good job with alcohol. We didn't do a good job with tobacco. We didn't do a good job with opioids. We're doing a terrible job with all of them. Yep. And nobody has been able to show or prove to me that we're going to do a good job with marijuana because so far it hasn't done any good for any state other than maybe make a little bit of money, less than 1% across the board. And if I'm wrong, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, <laughs> to be honest with you. I wish I was wrong uh, because if I'm wrong, I'll just crawl under a rock and disappear. Uh, but if I'm right, and so far I have been right, we have a serious problem on our hands, and this is going to be multi-generations. I mean, the impacts, some of the animal studies of the impacts of being exposed um, go pass on to the offspring and their offspring. So we're, we're going to look at, we're, going to, we're losing a generation of kids and probably their kids as well. And you know, we should have if it were just your viewpoint, Dr. Finn, yeah, people could argue with you, but I think you've shown enough through your slides that is factual information. And oh, I've got more. I'm sure you do. And I'm hoping that the people who are listening to this, who, you know, maybe came into it with not really a full awareness of the the issue at stake here and the lives at stake here, that they will look into this even more and, you know, become more educated. I mean, you know, one of the reasons we do this podcast is to, you know, to educate people on the whole issue and what's happening. And I think, I think you've done a really good job with that. Yeah. And this is just a couple of other points. Uh, I really think we need to have mandatory drug testing for all violent crimes. Okay. I mean, if you look at, and I have a lot of data that I can support that supports this just the recent uh, shooting at the church in New York City. Mm -hmm. The perpetrator had a long history of marijuana use. I mean, we need to do this. Yeah. We need to watch out for our kids. We need to discourage smoking and vaping. I mean, I can't believe people in the med it's saying medical marijuana, you should still uh, vaporize it um, because it's, it's just not good for your lungs. Uh, discourage use during pregnancy and lactation. We need to do drug testing and toxicology on suicides driving fatality and we need to follow the science and not the money. Right. Just like there's, they're, they're, they're beating the drum on, on that one on COVID. Why did marijuana get a free pass on this? That, yeah, don't get me started on that. I've said many times, you know, once the, um, 
you know, the whole opioid epidemic, the whole drug addiction epidemic that's in this country, it was in existence before COVID. It's going to not only be, it's still going to be in existence after COVID, but, and it's also probably going to be worse. So this is your book. This is my book. Okay. Um, and I didn't write anything. And I think it's very, I did that on purpose. I didn't want to be the author of anything. Okay. Uh, but I was able to gather 70 authors from three countries and put 20 chapters in looking at things from basic science uh, to the impacts in the emergency room. Uh, I had MD Anderson do a very good oncology piece. I had NYU do a very good palliative care piece. Uh, the former uh, drug czar, Bob DuPont, helped with my driving impairment piece. Uh, Bertha Madras uh, did my neurobiology piece. So we have, I have authors from Mayo Clinic, Harvard, Yale, um, UCLA, uh, Walter Reed. Uh, these are very well-respected institutions, very well-respected authors in their fields. And I was able to corral them um, and I won't get a year and a half of my life back, but I think it was worth it at the end. Absolutely. I agree with you. And anybody listening, if you want to disagree with me, if you want to disagree with Dr. Finn, be our guest, but you can't disagree with all of the people that are in his book. I mean, you just can't. It's science and it's scientific evidence. Where can people get that book? I know I saw- uh, The uh, link is on that last slide. Okay. Uh, it's, at, it's You can get it on Amazon. Okay. It's called Cannabis and Medicine, an Evidence-Based Approach. Uh, Springer is the publisher out of New York City. You can go to springer.com. Uh, they also have that available. Again, the title is Cannabis in Medicine an evidence-based approach. Perfect. Dr. Finn, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. This um, podcast is going up in January, and who knows, maybe we'll have enough people listening to it that we can make the statistics change direction in 2021, if more people will listen and more people will understand. And that, of course, would be our goal, as I know it's yours as well. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, you heard it from someone who I would say is an expert. So you can disagree with me if you want to about marijuana, whether or not it's a gateway drug, whether or not it's okay to use, but just take a look at those facts. I'm going to say to you again, if you're just listening to this podcast, maybe you're in your car or you're walking or wherever you might be, please make an effort to go to YouTube and watch the video because then you can actually see the slides that Dr. Finn is referring to throughout this podcast. It is vitally important that everybody understand what he's saying. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with a different viewpoint, a different story, and we appreciate you listening. Once again, it's a new year. If you or someone that you know or someone that you love needs help and treatment, please don't wait. Please do it now. Make 2021 the year that you or your loved one becomes sober. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.